the journey is finally complete. From the bottom to the top, Rangers are champions of Scotland. So much pressure on his shoulders. Not that you would ever guess it. A critical goal as Wickham try and try and chart away to an improbable second season in the championship. He's through the Hello and welcome to the Hopeless Wonder podcast with me, Adam Gipke. Craig Rogers and Andy McBride. And if you happen to be watching us right now live, say hello and make yourself known. If you happen to listen to us right now, great having you here. So let's catch up with our co-host and that's a bit of consolidation this week. So we'll start off by our co-hosts you may recall, we used to have, he's called Craig, it's been a while. Um, but before we consolidate you on the Stevie G news, Welcome back to the pod, Craig. How have you been? And more importantly, how are you doing? Yes, I'm good, mate. I'm doing well. Yeah, two weeks off from the pod. I feel like a bit more of a special guest than a co-host these days. <laughs> I've missed quite a few now. But yeah, good to be back. Bit of a strange day to be a Ranger supporter, but I'm sure we'll get into that in, in no time at all. Definitely. And Andy, for very different reasons, you're consolidating about Man United. Um, but before we kind of get your thoughts on that as well, what made you more mad this weekend? Was it the result against Man City or was it the Phil Lynch explanation about fan sentiment graphs? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just utter. I mean, both. Both things were just utterly, utterly bewildering to watch. Mm. I mean, at least the fan sentiment grass has some degree of logic to it, even if it's absolutely <laughs> cringe. Um, but yeah, it's, there's there's so many things wrong with that. So many. But other than that, yeah. I'm good. Good news. I'm, well, I'm glad it's an international break. <laughs> <laughs> Not very often would you be saying that. That's for sure. Anyway, Craig, for your benefit, we're going to go into the Stevie G stuff. So uh, Dean Smith was made redundant from Aston Villa. Um, I suppose the writing was on the wall, five games back-to-back where it was defeats. And uh, yeah, that performance against Southampton was pretty much summed up by the last 10 minutes where he had five forwards not knowing what to do. Um, obviously, before this pod and knowing about Stevie G, there was rumours about the Danish national coach potentially being the replacement for uh, Dean Smith at the time. And one of the questions I had was really around Stevie G, would this be a good move for him based on the fact that he's got some great credentials at Rangers and, um, you know, Champions League football potentially for next season if he was to secure, obviously, top spot in the Scottish Premier League. Um but if we start off with yourself, Andy, first, before we get, obviously, Craig to go through about the Stevie G stuff from a Rangers perspective. Um, good move for Villa, I think. Um, but a lot of people have been writing about it being kind of a sentiment of there's an edginess because there's the unknown around whether Stevie G is making the right decision and vice versa if Aston Villa are doing the right decision. So what's your thoughts on this kind of sudden move? I think from the point of view of Aston Villa, um, it's, a, it's a good move for them. They're getting a coach who's won trophies 
uh, you know, has proven himself and he can proven he can handle the pressure of a because uh, the Premier League as a whole, if you're if you're managing the Premier League, you're in a pressure cooker. Um, and it's fair to say if you manage any of Celtic or Rangers, you are in that pressure cooker. You judge more on as much as on how you manage that pressure as much as what happens on the pitch. And it, and Gerard has shown in abundance he can handle that. You know, he, he handles pressure largely as a player. Uh, he's done it as a manager. So I think he'll he'll be able to walk into that dressing room, the Aston Villa players, and have that instant respect because uh, of not only what he's done in the game as a player, but what he's done as a manager. Um, you know, I think for Gerard himself, it feels to be like a bit of um, a sidestep to Perfield or a step down, to be honest, because Rangers are a bigger club. They've got a bigger fan base. You know, they've got a more realistic chance of winning trophies. And all right, if you, you could argue that the level below of football below Celtic and Rangers perhaps is you know isn't as good as it is in the Premier League. He's mm. playing European football against decent sides. You know people like you know uh, Lazio or Bayer Leverkusen. Like they're not mugs. They're proper you know they're proper decent sides. And I feel that he's he's not going to get that experience with Villa because you know it's um, apart from maybe the other footer at Europa League or Europa Conference mm. League. I'm not really sure where. Aston Villa feel their ambitions are so and I think that if he doesn't do well at Aston Villa he'll be further away from his dream job which is the Liverpool job than he would have been Mm. had he stayed at Rangers and won a few titles so that's kind of my take on that one. So what about Villa then in that respect Andy I mean there's obviously that expectation that they should be at least in Europe by the end of this season. I think that was the expectation before the season kicked off because of the amount of signings they made. Um, but yeah, it, do you think that's realistic now going into this kind of second half of this season with Stevie G? I think that would be their aim. But I don't think, but I don't think mm. they'll get there. But I can understand the ambition that they have because they've spent an awful lot of money since being promoted back into the Premier League. And all right, they sold for 100 million quid, but they didn't exactly pocket the money. They reinvested that on the likes of, you know, every Brendia, Leon, ba- Leon Bailey. And so you you would expect, and they got them in nice and early as well. They weren't exactly last minute panic buys. Um, so you would have expected that team to move forward and they didn't. And um, I think there was quite a few misgivings from Villa fans about how uh, Dean Smith approached approach games tactically and things like that. And I think the general feeling was that although Dean Smith was very much a, a Villa lad, um, they wanted somebody who could take them up to the next level. And I think mm. I think as a general point, I think uh, the November international break has become like the unofficial manager window. It seems to be, because a bit like with Norwich, that was obviously planned. Mm. Uh, they, they obviously decided before the international break that they were going to cut ties and then look to appoint somebody else. So, yeah, it's interesting. So, Craig, let's move on to yourself. Um, What should Villa fans expect with Stevie G? Because I think from the top of my head, it's definitely commitment uh, to the cause. But you've obviously seen how Stevie G approaches the footballing side of things. And obviously, he eventually got you success at Rangers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it hasn't gone without its kind of doubts as well. I think it's fair to say. Um, but overall, obviously, he's going to bring a standard. I su- suspect. Um, do you think that's about fair? That is fair. That is fair. He will 
demand high standards of his players as staff the same way that he does from himself. Uh, Steven Gerrard has proven to be a very ambitious manager and he will not be happy with sort of mid-table finishes. Whether or not they can achieve higher than that is yet to be seen, but he will um, demand the, the maximum form of his playing squad because he wants to he wants to do well. Very ambitious. Um, tactically, probably still quite naive. However, with his support star coming with him, Gary McAllister mm. um, is strong, knows the league, uh, Mick Beale and Tom Colshaw. So um, there was Rangers fans who were, when they saw the news, were like, okay, Gerrard's going, but what about the backroom staff? Because it's no secret that Tom Colshaw and Mick Beale are, are two fantastic mm-hmm. coaches who are really the bedrock of some of our, our success on the park uh, over the last couple of years. So the fact that Stephen Gerrard is taking them to Villa is, is bad for Rangers, but good for Aston Villa because mm-hmm. they are very, very good good tactically. So they're bringing in an organisation, a discipline uh, and a very ambitious coaching team who will, who will want Aston Villa to, to finish as high as possible. Um, whether or not it's, it's a good move, I'm... Um, I don't think it will, in the long term, be a good move for Stephen Gerrard. I share Andy's thoughts, and I tweeted about it today, as Stephen Gerrard's ultimate goal and his end role, his dream job as a Liverpool manager. There is no secret mm. about it. He hasn't ever hidden it. It's been, he's been quite open about it. So he has to ask himself, and he should be, does this move get me closer to the Liverpool manager's job? Now, in my opinion, staying at Rangers until the end of his contract in 2024. So if you include this season, that's three years into 22, mm. 23, and 24. If he was to then win, you know, two of those three league titles, a couple of cups, and maybe get to the Champions League group stages twice, I don't think that's unreasonable to expect. If he was to do that, I think he is far closer to the Liverpool job than he would be after three seasons at Aston Villa finishing eighth or ninth. Mm. Because for me, I think in the current climate, a lot of clubs down there can spend the same money Aston Villa can, and I think Aston Villa's ceiling is around 8th, 9th, 10th. Will three years of that be enough for Liverpool to say, yeah, you're our next man? And maybe pressure from the fans will mean that they don't have a choice when Klopp goes. If Gerrard's doing an okay job and finishes 8th and 9th, mm-hmm. maybe the pressure will be that he's so close by, let's get him. But for me, I think his stock rises faster and continues to rise faster at a club where he is regularly on the, the, the European stage uh, and winning trophies. Um, that's what he's been noticed for now. And I worry for Stephen Gerrard, if they don't get this right and they have some mediocre seasons or, God forbid, they end up being being dismissed after some poor seasons, what will his next job mm-hmm. be? Because we've just looked, we've just watched Frank Lampard and at Chelsea, was yeah. sacked, and he's now being linked. He's not being linked with Aston Villa. He's not being linked with any clubs in that area. It's it's the bottom of the barrel. It's, it's Newcastle at the bottom. It's Norwich's that we top-level championship clubs. And I mm-hmm. fear if Stephen Gerrard has a bad one at Aston Villa... It'll almost be a one step forward, five steps back in terms of his long term goal becoming a Liverpool manager. Um, but that being said, I don't wish him any hard feelings. It's, it's very disappointing um, yeah. that he's left, but forever grateful for for what him and his team did for our club. And you know, wish him all the success. I hope that they, they, they tear it up down there. And I'd love to see him at Liverpool one day realise his goal because um, he did a lot for us. Came up, he lived in Glasgow without his family as well, which a lot of people on Twitter are forgetting that his, his family never moved to Glasgow with him. So in the odd rest day that he does get, he drives down to Liverpool, sees his kids and comes back up. And when you're playing like Rangers every four days, that doesn't happen yeah. nearly often enough for a, for a father with young kids. So I think we've got to respect that. Being down the road, um, 
And it's, like Andy says, Villa are a smaller club than Rangers, but that's the consequence you, you have when you live next door to the biggest and richest club, biggest and richest league, sorry, in the world. It's, it's mm. going to happen. So, yeah, um, time will tell. Time will tell, but, but fingers crossed, and I hope he does well. So what about Rangers? Obviously, uh, we've been speaking offline about potential candidates to replace uh, Stevie G. Some interesting ones mixed in with uh, some obvious ones as well. We talked about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and obviously uh, Fort Shithousery. We obviously want Gattuso in there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we have seen some really far wide left rumours as well. So the likes of, as you said, Farker. We've also had Russell Martin linked with the role. Derek McInnes, which I'm sure will go down very well with a lot of Rangers fans. Um, where's your heads at in terms of who you'd like to bring in and who you think would suit what role, I suppose, and the work that Stevie G has already started to build at Rangers as well? Yeah, you're getting odds on the good, the bad and the ugly <laughs> for the Rangers job. And it's not it's not a surprise that Rangers are now quite an attractive club to come at. This is not Rangers of 2016-17. We are a regular competitor in the group stages of the Europa League. We are current champions. We're currently top of the league. Um this is like this is a good club to come to if you're if you're a manager. I personally, you guys know my feelings we've been talking about today. Giovanni Van Bronkos for me mm. uh, is the number one choice. He is an ex-player, understands the club. He has gone on to be successful as a player elsewhere. Remember his time at Arsenal and in Barcelona. Uh, internationally successful and he took final to an Eredivisie Championship, which doesn't happen very often. I mean, usually Ajax and uh, and PSV have a monopoly on that league, so to break through and win the league with final is, is a huge achievement. I think his style of football prefers a 4-3-3 like Gerard already does. So I think in terms of transition uh, and future plan, I think Giovanni Verdonkost would be my personal choice, potentially mm. with an assistant manager like a Neil McCann, um, who knows the league as it is at the moment, um, someone like that. Um, that being said, that was that's my sensible. Um, my one right there is just for the violence. Really, I would I would think the two so would just be a, a laugh. It would it would only last six months. But <laughs> six months it would be uh, with Cattuso on the sideline and, and Alfredo Morelos up front. I think we could get quite a quite some tasty old fun games with those two. Those two. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah, we've also been linked with um, some other fans. I've, I've heard they've, they've seen of Ronald Koeman mentioned today. I think some Rangers fans are getting a bit like Celtic supporters with managerial hunts pulling out, pulling out <laughs> names like that. Let's let's be realistic. But yeah, Daniel Farker, as we mentioned, I don't think I don't think he would come up there for the money. I think when you look at some of the big championship clubs that are coming in for him, as they you know the nature of the beast is they could probably offer more money, bigger transfer budget yeah. than, than what Rangers can, which is which is obscene in itself. So yeah, all, all in all, we'll be linked with with lots of people over the coming days. Um, Van Bronckhorst is the bookies' favourite. They've stopped taking bets on Van Bronckhorst. Looking at Twitter, he's absolutely the fans' favourite. Uh, and I just hope we can get something done relatively quickly. We've got a huge League Cup semi-final against Hibs a week on Sunday. So it would be good if we could get, get Giovanni Van Bronckhorst or the equivalent in sometime next week to prepare for that. But um, yeah, it's good to that Gerald's gone, but you know, We've not been exactly fantastic this season, and maybe some fresh blood and some fresh ideas might make this world a good. 
So we might as well move on to Daniel Farking off from uh, Norwich. Um, obviously, that news, as you alluded Fuck to, sake. Andy, does feel like... <laughs> what uh, that one? <laughs> I don't know. But uh, it does feel like with Daniel Farker, that decision was made before the Brentford uh, results. Obviously, that was a result that they probably didn't anticipate to pull off. Um, but yeah, I felt like there was obviously some sentiment going into it. Um Looking at their form, obviously, you know they're bottom of the table, but it is basically their home form where they were let down. So one point in five, and away they only achieved four points from a uh, from six games. Uh, conceded 21 goals, seven of those against Chelsea. Um, I, I did have some, some feelings around this, though. Was this necessarily Daniel Farker's fault in terms of the way they played this season? Or was it the way it was set up from the directors of football who brought in players that, let's be honest, weren't capable of keeping that team up in the Premier League? So, and if we get your thoughts first, I mean, where do you think it all went wrong for Daniel Farker ultimately? I think it might, I think it's just been a case of that he's one of those managers that doesn't appear to have changed his style because you get teams like West Brom, you get teams like Norwich who, who get promoted from the championship, play open, expansive football. You know, it's, it's good to watch. You'll score two or three games and it's it's all good. Uh, but the problem in the Premier League is that in terms of the quality of um, attack that other teams can put out, when you do make those two or three silly mistakes a game that you can get away with in the championship, you can't in the Premier League. So as an absolute bare minimum, you've got to have a good defensive structure in place to you know keep the goals out um and i think a little bit that went into the decision was um the the form of norwich last time they were in the premier league you know they went down with an absolute whimper they had that good august where you know timu puki was the new Lewandowski uh for like all of one month and it just all <laughs> went to shit um you know i think the other side of it as well is that they haven't they made a few gambles in the market because they caught they made quite a few um what i'll say left field signings um you know they had um, Rashika come in from where the Bremen obviously just been sort of relegated themselves uh same with um josh sergeant the us international but he's never at club level put mm. up any serious numbers of any description um and i think yeah i think they've maybe tried to go a bit i feel obviously the big side of it the big signings they did make obviously in ozan kabak i think he needed somebody as good as him um at center back uh Brandon Brandon Williams. Williams. again i've watched him i've watched him enough times for united i think he's quite spiky in the tackle he does get mm. forward but positionally he's not the best defender yeah. he does get caught on the hop quite a few times mainly because he's a right-footed person playing at left yeah. back a lot of the time and that just it forever just doesn't make sense to me <laughs> and also uh, with Billy Gilmore as well like he was meant to be mm. that you know he's a young kid and they're putting all their hopes for the young kids and then as results started to go south he's, he's ended up then getting benched and it means they've mm. got absolutely zero creativity in the middle and it just feels like he didn't have any solutions uh, so yeah obviously with Norwich they made that decision well in advance of that result yeah. against Brentford. Um, so, you know, that's that's their prerogative to do that. I think they felt that, you know, with, um, you know, given it's only November, they've still got enough time to, um, you know, turn the season around, which is, you know, which is obviously fair enough. Because if, if you look at the table, they're only, 
it's only they're only really like two wins away from getting out of the relegation zone because Watford in 17th at the moment have lost four out of their last five. Villa have lost five in a row. Um, Leeds United are not doing particularly great. And obviously Brentford lost four out of their last five as well. Mm. So, you know, even if you're right dead, dead at the bottom, a couple of wins can still put you back in the mix. And I think that's why Norwich have gone, you know what, let's try something different. Um, it's yeah, some of the names of the shortlist are a bit interesting to say the least. Yeah, but, yeah. I was going to ask Craig around his thoughts on the list as well because it does seem like, from what the uh, media reporting, it seems to be Frank Lampard's potentially in a running for this role. But the other names were Dean Smith, ironically, after that sacking, you had also Ralph Hassenhutel, um, and then obviously another name that is also linked with the Rangers job, which is the Bodo Glimt manager. And I'm going to try and pronounce his name, but terribly get it wrong. But Keji Nutson. Um, yeah, can, obviously can some interesting there, names there. Um, but yeah, from your point of view, uh, Craig, is this a case of a manager to rebuild them for next season? Like ultimately, I mean, it's going to be a tough ask to get someone in to keep them up, I would say. Uh, Norwich don't think so. I think if they were if they were expect if they were going to accept relegation and, and build for next year, I think they might have kept Daniel Farker in for long. And I, w- I wouldn't, you know, celebrate anyone being dismissed. But I'm, it's, it shows that Norwich have got a bit of a sign of life here. They had not Farker last time he was up, took him down, rebuilt, came back up. He's clearly learned nothing um, from from his time doing that. And like Andy said, of an unofficial manager's window this is like the last pit stop before the next international break in march so if you're going to pull the trigger before the winter congestion of fixtures you have to do it now and um, so norwich believe that they have a squad um to stay in the premier league i don't think that's quite true and they think that a better manager um is enough to keep them up but with with the short list they're going to struggle because of where they are at the moment and the manager who comes in there will have to have serious conversations about what happens if we get relegated because if Frank Lampard mm-hmm. comes in he should be asking for some assurances or whether it's Dean Smith or, or whoever comes in if we go down are you going to get rid of me or am I going to have a chance to rebuild because it's a very distinct possibility that they, they will go down I don't think Frank Lampard would be a man he's never had to fight a relegation in his career player or manager from, from memory even back in the old West Ham days um, Dean Smith brought Aston Villa up saved them from relegation uh, in the first season, you remember they, they missed it mm. by an absolute, you know, an incredibly small margin just to skate. Mm. Um, and he's built on that and, and built Aston Valencia, a reasonably decent Premier League team. So for me, if I was a Norwich fan, I'm looking at Dean Smith. I, again, they're similar to Lampard. It's probably not the first job for a foreign manager that you really want to bring in. If I'm Norwich City, I'm looking for someone who, A, knows the Premier League, has, has had to motivate players down there, and B, if we do go down, I want someone ready-made who's willing to stay at the club and then bring us back up. And I'm not sure Frank Lampard um, or Knutson would, would be that man. So for me, if I'm a Norwich fan, I'm looking at Dean Smith and I'm saying, listen, if we want to stay in this league, if we've all this like Farker because we want to be in the Premier League, and if we want to be in the Premier League, Dean Smith for me is the guy to, to bring in. Interesting. Well, we'll move into Annie's favourite topic, which is <laughs> the famous Fat Boy Slim records of Eat, Sleep, Rave, Repeat at Man United. Um but yeah, it was a terrible defeat against Man City. And um, Craig, again, I'll go to you because I think it'd be nice to get your point across because you've been missing for a few weeks on the Man United angle. Um, 
obviously Olegon and Solskjaer has been given grace again during this period of time. It doesn't seem like the Glazers have a distinct feeling about changing him up, despite the fact that everyone else has made their mind up on Oli. Um, but yeah, that defeat was terrible. It could have been worse than the Liverpool results. I think it was just the fact that Man City relaxed, just made sure that they were keeping the ball and weren't doing anything stupid. But I suppose the main thing is anyone in the world right now, if it was their club, you know, probably would have seen a change by now. But we know there's reasons behind why Oli's been given time to turn it around or ultimately just be the bad guy while um, the Glazers are out of the sunlight, so to speak. So in terms of Oli, how does he approach it? Obviously, I don't know what else he can do because clearly the tactics, you can see that the players aren't there. They're not playing for him and there's rumours that, you know, they're just not bringing their game to the matches anymore. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult situation for anyone in that like kind of position. But what, what do Man United do right now? Because... I can't see them turning this around. They're probably further off from being in the top four now than potentially they were a few weeks ago. And they've had chances of bring Conte and they've missed that opportunity already. So there's not going to be any likely candidates unless they spend some serious money. And then that's a whole rebuilding case as well again with that. So, yeah, what's your general thoughts on the Man United situation? I find it really strange, as most people do, that he's still in the job. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is 100%, in my opinion, going to get sacked this season. Mm. I don't think there's any doubt about that, whether it's now or Christmas or February or the end of the season, whenever it is. So I don't know what the hesitancy is around it. Um, like you said, any Premier League club, other Premier League club, I think he's, I think he's gone. I find it quite strange. For me, it, it reeks of... The Manchester United senior management not having a, a succession plan because I think if they had someone lined up, surely they would have pulled the trigger before now. Um, they cannot have faith that they're going to turn this around because nothing in the park suggests that they will. And I wonder if you're right, if it's if the Ole Brigade are, are targeting Ole and no one's really talking about the Glazers at the moment, are they quite happy to make Ole going to the show? Only going to social the fall guy for as long as possible mm-hmm. until until the fans start turning on them. They, they've missed the boat with Conte. That that would have been the one. That would have been the one to, to get in. Um, Ten Hag is looking like the only real available ish guy who you would you would go to now. Um, but I just find it I find it bizarre. I find it utterly bizarre that after the Liverpool game he didn't go. I thought that was the, the time. Then ran all over a, a piss poor Spurs side, which peopled over some cracks. Um, yeah. But that Spurs side, um, are just Spurs. Sorry, about it, but Spurs. Spurs are an antidote for any team who's feeling shit, right? <laughs> see, if, see, if, see if you're down in the dumps, you're struggling, you can't fucking get a win. You just look at oh, Spurs in two weeks. Arsenal were dog shit for the played Spurs. Fucking pump Spurs. My United, dog shit, pump Spurs. But if Norwich play Spurs soon, I don't know if they do, by the way, they'll, they'll probably fucking beat them as well. And then that game against Manchester City, you're right. Man City declared it 2 0. That could have been another. Four or five, quite quite mm. easily. So I don't, I don't know. They just the results in Europe haven't been overwhelming either. It's, it, everything is pointing towards Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being removed, and I don't understand why it's taken so long. I think I'm in the, the same boat as a lot of my United fans, where we're just kind of sitting around waiting for the tweet that says uh, we've parted ways. But I just, I don't know what it's going to take for for him to get the sack. <laughs> Andy, I'm just going to put it nice and simply to you. 
what's hurting you the most right now? Is it the fact of the whole situation? Is it the way you're playing? Or is there other factors that we haven't spoken about in the last 10 to 8 weeks? I think it's just a mixture of things. You can't put it down just to one particular thing. I think, you know, you as a fan, you've got literally every single other fan in the Premier League, you know, taking the piss, saying like, Ollie's at the wheel. Uh, the performances have been absolutely dire. You know, at least against, and I'd argue that the performance against City was actually worse than the one against Liverpool. Yeah, at least mm. against Liverpool, we tried to attack, we kicked some people. <laughs> you know, we got stuck <laughs> into it a literally. little bit. Yeah, you know, it's um, you know, at least it showed like we kind of gave a fuck, but um, it's just we just City could have just kept the ball for another ninety minutes on top of the one zero mm-hmm. he did. It's just um. I think quite a few. I think what's happening is that Ole Gunnar has been accused of. Um, there's a lot of reports coming out about favouritism, and you look mm. at some of the lineups that United have put out over the past few weeks, and it's it's getting increasingly hard to argue against it because although you don't know what goes on in the training ground, obviously it's just paper rumours. But you look at um, Sean Maguire, a yeah. stronger willed manager would have taken him out of the limelight by now. Um, I saw a tweet from somebody earlier going, why hasn't someone turned around to Harry Maguire going, you know what, go on holiday for a couple of weeks, you know, come back, and ref- well, don't go on holiday to Greece, but go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, go on holiday for a couple of weeks, chill out, because he's, he's woefully out of form. Mentally, he's not quite, he's clearly not on top yeah. of his game. Uh, same with Shaw as well. And you're looking at midfield, um, you know, obviously the biggest cheer of the day that came out against the City game was Van der Beek coming on. Um, and that's yeah, I been, that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, and that, to be honest, has been quite a long-running issue. If you're yeah. getting results and you're finishing second in the league, you can justify leaving somebody out. Uh, but when you're having bad performance after bad performance and you don't try and change the personnel... Um, you do attract a bit of scrutiny. That's just how it works. Personally, I've always been of the opinion that if a different manager comes in, he'll find a use for someone like Van der Beek, um, 100%. But I think what's going to happen is if Ole stays, he'll leave. And I think that's where I feel the Glazers will act because they're money men. They're not football men. Mm. That's been very abundant over the past 10, 15 years. But they're they're money men. The thing historically the thing that's always made them act is either a being knocked out the group stage of the champions league um or b the threat of missing out on the top four yeah um and if the glazers feel that missing out on the top four is a distinct possibility they will pull the trigger um and i think part of what but unfortunately due to how the club is mismanaged uh, they haven't got a succession plan. Ed Woodward is due to leave his role yeah. as, a, as chief executive in the next few weeks. He doesn't want his last act to be firing a manager. And although a new chief executive hasn't officially been announced, I think the whole world and his wife knows it's going to be his Bristol Uni mate, Richard Arnold, who's already at Manchester United in the role anyway. Uh, mm. So nothing's going to change from that point of view. Um, and yeah, I think it just shows... And even some of the names that are being suggested just shows a complete lack of forward planning. I mean, Brendan Rodgers is coming to 
the fall. You laughed. Game. You laughed at me when I said that two days ago. You laughed at the group. <laughs> well, people, people are seriously suggesting it now. Yeah, it's, it's um, up, yeah. It started to pick up, and I think at never at any given point I would have, would I have imagined the next Liverpool manager coming in. And obviously, if you go back into the history, Matt Busby technically played for Liverpool and Manchester City before becoming manager. And obviously, you've had United players play for City, like Peter Schmeichel, um, so and obviously Mark Hughes, who played and managed Manchester City as well. So I guess it's not entirely beyond the realms of possibility, but with Liverpool, it's a bit different. Um, but I think with um, Ten Hag, I don't think they, unless they bought the whole gang with him because mm. you're going to go and get Ten Hag you might as well go all out and go right yeah over you know, Mars over Van Mars and Van der Sar who's already got that connection bring him over but yeah there's there's no mm. forward planning I think uh, such a cliche but I don't necessarily think Ollie's got the dressing room under control and I thought that would happen because when you bring in personalities with the likes of Varane and Ronaldo, not just because of their personalities, but because of what they've achieved at the game, the coaches they've worked under, and the standards that they're used to. You know, there's rumours coming out that the sta- you know Ronaldo is commenting about how much the standards have dropped. Um, and you know, when when a player of that stature is you know, kind of making those kind of comments, um, stop that. And I think the other thing as well, I think the Pogba thing is a distraction as well. I think that's been a been allowed to continue and there's just a lot of negativity around the club at the moment and I think mm. one I think one way they could resolve it because there is actually a really really good group of players there you know there yeah, is the, in you, there. we've got some world-class talents in there there's some promising talents of the youth set up you know all right it's there's problems upstairs there's always going to be problems upstairs mm. but on the pitch there's been money spent and I think at the moment it just needs somebody else um, to carry that forward. Solskjaer did a good job in the couple in the first couple of years he was in charge, but I think the signs were there from the Sevilla mm. game in the Europa League final. You could argue a a football focused club like a big club, like you know, like Bayern Munich, like Real Madrid and Barcelona. If he'd have lost that game, he'd have been fired. Yeah, um, yeah. and pretty much any other massive club. Um, so I think he's done a good job. He deserves credit and he should walk away with his head held high. Uh, but I think somebody else just needs to come in, take that next step. And there's nothing wrong mm. with that. Uh, but the, I think there's nobody out there at the moment. You know, Pochettino's, I think, apparently quite admired by the United lineup. And I think he would be a good fit culturally because of the style of football he plays and the sort of personality he is. I think he'd be a good fit. Uh, but he's employed at PSG. Um, at least for the time being. Uh, Conte was never really under consideration by the man. So based on the journalists from who cover Manchester United, Conte was never in the running. He might have been a fan's idea to take over, but he was never seriously under discussion at any point. Um, I think if you're looking at the likes of, you know, Pochettino, um, Ten Hag seems to be a favourite as well. And that's the Mm. kind of, they're looking at sort of managers who can, Build like a long term vision. Um, what, would you, I don't... what would you think about Joachim Love? He's a work now, not managed in club football for, for a long, long time, but successful guy, managed big personalities. Um, do you think he's Manchester United level or is he looking at a club slightly below that level to then kind of get back into club management? 
I think as maybe an interim, it could work. I think if Manchester United were to go for because Ralph Ragnick has been um, his name's been yeah, floated yeah, about yeah. quite recently as like an interim option. I think with um, you know, so look, I think as an interim option, I'd absolutely take that. Ralph Ragnick would be ideal because I think the best move that United could make would be to bring him in for a few months and then move him upstairs because you know the mm. way he's built up the um, the Red Bull. It's, it's yeah, but it's a couple group, isn't it? Yeah, it's not yeah. just Leipzig. He's had involvement in, you know, Schalke. New York, Salzburg. Well, nothing went well at Schalke, did it? But <laughs> I, I think he's got a body of work uh, to suggest that if you give him control of the footballing side of things, then um, I think there'd be a massive benefit there. But I feel that the upstairs management at Manchester United want too much control in that respect yeah. um, and I don't think someone like Ragnick coming in, I think he would step on a few toes and unfortunately Manchester United board wouldn't like that uh, but yeah, I think that as like a contemporary option would be good but I think they need to be, someone, someone like Ten Hag for me would be the preferred long term option because I feel Ajax have similar philosophies of traditional philosophies, yeah. you know, in terms of playing attacking football, 4 3 3, you know, promoting from within, which United, you know, they've had a match day playing the squad since the 50s, um, every single game. Um, you know, he's not going to necessarily demand 100 million pounds, to, you know, to buy a superstar. Mm -hmm. And he's used to the expectation of being the dominant, dominant team in the league. Um, I think that's what you need at the high end of the Premier League. You need somebody who has a defined way of playing the game. So, mm. yeah. Bit disappointed you didn't mention Jurgen Klinsmann, but never mind. Uh, for the love yeah, list, <laughs> did, did put this question in for us, but I'm sure they've heard it all from Andy already around who's the best man to replace Ollie. So we'll move into Serie A and we had a very interesting weekend of games and we had the uh, famous Derby della Manione. Um, probably pronounced that completely wrong, but I've changed it to Chanologu because that man made himself known upon the Curva Sud in particular because he took the first penalty uh, for Inter Milan, scoring in front of the AC Milan fans and doing the uh, famous gesture with his ears and his hands and uh, making them know who the actual number 10 should be in Milan. But uh, yeah, I, I did feel unlucky or feel a bit sorry that Inter didn't manage to pull off the result because uh, Pioli completely got this wrong in terms of the tactics and the um, players that he chose. Um, did change in the second half as soon as he did get the uh, subs on, in particular Benetier, as well as um, forgotten his name, but it was certainly turned by those substitutions. Um, Craig, it was a really fascinating Inter Milan or Inter derby in that respect, Milan derby. Um, what do you make of this game? I mean, obviously, it seems like Milan will look at this and feel like they got away with it because they're still unbeaten as well. Yeah, I didn't watch the game live. I was kind of following your commentary on, on Twitter. Um, so I was watching the F1, which I probably shouldn't have done on a football podcast. Um, but I did watch the highlights. <laughs> the highlights were like eight minutes long. There was so much so much yeah. action in this game. It had, it had it all, penalties, own goals, uh, missed penalties, ex-player scoring yeah. derbies, and it was a real, a real fun game. From what I saw, it looked as if Inter on the balance probably should have won that and will be absolutely kicking themselves that 
Milan's you know, 38-year-old subkeeper saves that, that penalty, <laughs> which was a will be disappointing. But um, on on balance, um, Inter, you know, really needed to win that as well. I think was yeah. it is it six seven points now between six them? points now six points, yeah. and, and Inter needed that. Inter needed that more than more than Milan did. So I think Milan will probably be quite content given the performance. I think a point mm. after the ninety minutes they would have, they would have taken that. And Inter left to rue some real opportunities to, to close the gap up there. Yeah, definitely. And um, from one kind of mayhem to another, we'll uh, cover off a bit of Serie A, and we'll talk about a certain uh, Jose Mourinho having another meltdown oh. at the moment in Rome. Uh, obviously, more pain for you, Craig. Uh, followed by uh, a loss to Venezia, the Fashionistas, three-two. Uh, uh, the goal being set up by Ethan Ampadu. Um, but the main kind of cause around uh, Mourinho's meltdown was he's starting to piss off uh, TV and radio. So uh, it's been claimed that he uh, called uh, Sky Italia's Mario Juric as not being intelligent or playing dumb. And uh, as a result, one of the radio stations have decided to cancel any future participation with Jose, as well as covering Roma. Um <laughs> But yeah, now Roma are now worse off than they were when they had Paolo Fonseca. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel like, Craig, that Mourinho is going to last even maybe beyond January if results carry on in the same vein. Um, so he's even reducing the time of his meltdowns, it seems. So obviously, has started off at Man United, reduced that Spurs, and now even potentially may not even last half a season at Roma. You, what do you make of it all? You're taking the words out of my mouth. Remember when he pointed at Spurs and Andy says, Rosemino does a thing, he lasts two years, pisses everyone off, and then Spurs got a hyper-charged version of that, and then Roma again a hyper-charged version of what Spurs got. <laughs> so it's getting worse and worse. It, it started off so well. Uh, no couple of good results in, in Serie A. Um, reasonable in the, the, the conference league. I think he won his first six games. You're thinking, here we go, this is a bit different. And we all we warned, we warned Roma fans, we warned Serie A fans, this is not the Jose Mourinho of 2004 to 2012. It just it is not the same guy. And he's up to his old tricks, you know, insulting media, um, which almost seems like he's trying to create that siege mentality of us against the world, but then he undoes all that by throwing his players under the bus at every possible yeah. opportunity. So it's almost like a uh, you know, a, a zero fucks Jose tour of, of, of Serie A at the moment. The two the two games against Bodo Glint, when we were talking about their manager commits in, um, they were a bit of an eye opener. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're a reasonable side, but the 6 1 game in particular, and then the return leg in Rome was 2 all, and Bodo Glint were the better team by by some considerable stretch. Mm. Um, not not good. Roma are not a, a fantastic squad, but they should be beaten, beating the likes of Venezia, you know, just come up. Um, it doesn't feel like Jose Mourinho on the park is is satisfying, you know what what is required, and then off the park he's he's just creating additional drama. Now the Roma hierarchy have come out and given the fabled Jose has a full support. He is a manager, which usually signifies that a second is is, yeah. is probably not not too far away. So yeah, I, I think Roma's Roma's plan this year was of course to finish top four. It's looking less and less likely with every passing week. Uh, and like the Glazers at Manchester United, I wonder if if top four becomes um, further and further away. I wonder if they'll they'll pull the trigger. Mm. The problem is, Jose's on a, a massive contract there. Uh, it, will, it will cost them yeah. to get him out of that. And then, like Manchester United, where the Roma, where the Roma really 
go after this. You're probably looking yeah. internally at a, a manager from Serie A at the moment. So, yeah, not not a good week to be a, a Roma fan. Not a good month to be a Roma fan. And uh, I think we play Inter after the national break. So it's uh, it's not going to get any easier for for no, Jose, his own club. So I think more fireworks in the in the next match day for sure. And a quick word on Tammy Abraham. His form's been very indifferent. Um, He's starting to get that scrutiny. I suppose we kind of maybe saw it from his Premier League days with Chelsea as well to an extent. But obviously he had that very promising start. And I don't know if it's all the drama with Jose that's really kind of putting this kind of Abraham piece to light. But yeah, I mean, against, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Milan. He was highlighted as you know, not being maybe as a focal point for Roma and maybe indecisive with some of his decision-making, maybe not getting the connection yet with the other teammates. Um, and it's being held by Pellegrini to an extent, isn't it, really, for Roma? But, yeah, just back to Abraham, where where do you see him? Do you think there's still time for him to turn it around? There's absolutely still time, and he's, he's showing enough in his shots to be able to to convince the Roma supporters that there's a player in there. He is very indicative of, of Roma's overall form, where it started very, very well. Um, you know, scored a couple of good goals, really good performances. And he, like Roma, has form form his depth, and he's just not really getting that service and that connection just isn't there. Scored a cracking goal at, at the weekend against Venezia. Not not a perler, but mm. the ball kind of drops in the box and he shows incredible strength, holds a guy off, a proper old school striker's goal. And you see that and you think, yeah, he's definitely, there's definitely a player in there. But Jose Mourinho's Roma are not good to watch. They do not create an awful no. lot of chances. And when you've got a striker in there who's not exactly clinical, for him to score in a game, he's probably going to need four or five, maybe six decent chances to get a goal. If Roma are playing poorly, he's only going to get one or two, then he's, he's not going to be banging in goals. So I think if, if Roma starts to improve and create more chances, I think you'll see Tammy Abraham's numbers increase alongside that. And you've also got the Uzbek Messi, haven't you? Shmorodov on the bench. So I'm sure well. eventually he'll get 90 minutes, but uh, we'll, we won't hold our breath on that one. Um, but one of the points I wanted to cover as part of the Serie A roundup was around Allegri. Very similar situation to the Solskjaer aspect, whereby he's been brought back in, obviously tried to uh, get the fortunes back up. Um now, statistically, Juventus are closer to the bottom of the table than they are to the top. Um, they did get a win against Fiorentina, courtesy of a 90th minute winner from Juan Cuadrado. Um, but the previous week, Craig, they lost to Hellas Verona. Again, fantastic result by Igor Tudor. And more importantly, Diego Simeone's son, Giovanni, who seems to be scoring goals for fun. Apparently, he's been putting it down to watching Rocky films before <laughs> matches. So that's why he got, uh, I think it was four goals against Lazio that previous week. Um, but yeah, I, I did want to pose this question to both of you. Um, if this was Pirlo, I don't think he'd be in the job right now. But because it's Allegri, because of what he's done at Juve and what is going on right now in terms of it feels like there's a rebuild there. But the style of football is where he's being questioned on. And the fact is he still hasn't been able to get the right 11 um, but there's been a lot of criticism about the style of play. I mean, even the likes of Federico Chiesa seems to be always on the bench. He doesn't seem to be playing. And when he does appear, it seems to be only in Champions League matches. So um, for start off with yourself, Craig, I mean, what, what does Juventus do? But more importantly, I mean, 
Allegri's time must be coming up shortly. I don't know. If you sack a manager that you brought back after two months, it makes the board look like they've made a mistake. If you give them a year and sack him, like they did with Pirlo, it looks like you've given him enough chance and it's his fault. So I think he might he might see the year out. Um, but the football is dreadful. I mean, I I wouldn't watch Juventus if they're playing in my back garden. It's that fucking bad. <laughs> I mean, they were talking about they get beat at Empoli, they get beat at Verona. Even the games yeah. that they are winning, they beat Roma very, very fortunately. A tough, a really poor game. That's only for 90 minutes I've watched of Juventus. Um, mm. And then Fiorentina at the weekend, by all accounts, I saw the highlights, and they were eight minutes long, I'll tell you that for free. Just a very, very fortunate again to beat, to beat Fiorentina. So the football's not good, they're not picking up points. And, but I think this is indicative of, I don't think it's all Allegri, Juventus don't have a brilliant squad. Yeah. They, they, they haven't done for some time. And I think Ronaldo covered off a lot of that with, with some of his goals and performances, but Juventus haven't been the best squad in Serie A for probably two or three years. And I think that's now coming coming home mm. to roost. I think it'll all depend on, on what they do in, in Europe as well. And if they, they look like they're going to get through the group stage quite comfortably, but if they have another sort of Porto episode and they're sitting third or fourth, you, you have, you know, Juventus might pull the trigger, but you know, where do they go after that? They've they got rid of Allegri first time, got rid. They brought in Sari experiment, the Pirlo experiment, now they're back to Allegri. It just looks like, again, a club with no real vision of what they want to do, what they really want. Um, and if it's not Allegri, then their next manager appointment is, is exceptionally important because they cannot just keep flip-flopping year in, year out. You know, if you include Allegri, twice it's four managers is what five years um yeah, it's just, exactly. you just kind of keep doing that yeah yeah and i mean there seems to be this persistence in playing rabio on the left hand side when he can't even kick with his left well, foot so well I they mean, offered they offered aaron ramsey to roma on loan and roma said no <laughs> which just shows you what what and that boy's on 400 grand a week so yeah i read a tweet that they're trying to get rid of rabio and ramsey in january after the summer because they're on 30 million pounds a year combined wages. and then you've got this Dabala situation where he's asking for more money but he barely plays because he's always injured yeah yeah and he's running his contract as well so yeah yeah no not looking good for Juventus it's another big club that's been currently mismanaged I'm afraid and Andy think, does this ring sentiments of Man United a little bit yeah they've got overpaid players who are not very good <laughs> <laughs> you know I was, I was looking um I was looking at I was looking at their squads and I'm thinking You've got Morata who scored like two goals in 10 yeah. games for them. He's never been clinical here. You've got like 11 in 32 league games uh, last season. Like he's not, uh, he's never been a clinical striker. He's very much like a confidence-based guy. He could put in some great mm. performances, but never on a consistent basis. Uh, obviously, Moise Ken, who's obviously come, you know, he's a back on back to Juve on loan. Um, he's done okay. Uh, obviously, Dabala is the best player, attacking player by quite a distance, but he's had his injury issues and things like that. And they've just got, especially their midfield, for what they've paid and what they've got. I mean, you look at some of the names out there, obviously, Artur came from Barcelona in, uh, in that pianic swap in some um, creative accountancy rather than <laughs> um, football reasons. Um, you know, you've got Rabio uh Ramsey paying an extortionate amount of money because you know they came on you've done this for years, they don't pay much in terms of transfer fees, but they certainly fucking pay when it comes to the salaries. And unfortunately, yeah. that means that if he doesn't work out, 
they're stuck with them. And yeah. obviously, there's a lot of rumours going out today, especially with Aaron Ramsey, that they're considering terminating his contract uh, like a mutual termination. But mm. that's still going to require a few million pounds to pay off. Obviously, they've brought in Reston McKenney on the permanent transfer, um, who, you know, is probably a serviceable, he's a very serviceable player, um, but probably not the standard of player that perhaps you no. may should be having if you want to be winning Syria. Um, obviously, with Locatelli, obviously it's taken a little bit of time for him to be brought back in. I think personally should be building with fields around Locatelli and Benton Good, but yeah, they've just got a lot of problems which aren't easily solved and think that's what will buy a likely time. I think the management have acknowledged they haven't, you know, the moves mm. in terms of players hasn't been particularly great. And I think with um, Allegri, he has got a background winning at Juve. He's won titles, he's won several titles with them, he's won trophies, you know, he's been there, he's done that. And I think that will buy him a bit of time. Because uh, I know you said earlier, you know, if it was Perlo, he could have been gone. Uh, but he, I think he's earned the right to be giving a bit longer. And I reckon, you know, as long as top four... Bit, again, a bit like with United, as long as top four is still a possibility, because there are only a few points off it. It's not, you know, a complete shit No, show. it's not beyond the realms, but... No, it's. I was, I was looking earlier, I mean, what was it? From Atalanta, they're four points behind. That's, a, mm. you know, a couple of wins. And you two, three, four, five wins on the bounce, you're suddenly back in the mix. Um, and you're only 12 games in. And I think with the winter break that they have in Italy, I think they'll probably see where they are at Christmas uh, and then make a decision then. I think if they're still in the mix by Christmas, Juve did this last season. They um, started off really, really poorly, brought it back towards the end of the season, um, got themselves into the top four, uh, which was just about enough. But um, yeah, I think um, it deserves a bit more time, but probably not too much more. Okay, so um, just last question on this for both of you. I'll start off with you, Andy. Do you see them in the top four this season? Probably. Uh, I think Atalanta have had a lot of injury problems. Um, I think they they could end up falling out. Um, Lazio and Roma are both similar in the respect that they do. When the pressure is really, really on, they don't necessarily perform. Um, Mm. At least with Juventus, they have got years and years of you know coming good to what when they need to be so i think it's certainly realistic and if i was to put money out i'll probably still say yes okay and craig and we'll just unmute you yeah uh, sorry mate. um yeah likewise <laughs> I, th- I think they'll finish top four with you look at yeah. roma where roma are that's so inconsistent napoli although they have started the the campaign on fire they do have a, mm. an incredibly difficult run up to Christmas and then when the African Cup nation starts they're hit pretty hard with Koulibaly and, and Osimhen away so yeah. Napoli will eventually fall away um, and Juventus you know just that bastard will probably just <laughs> grind it out and finish fourth and, and be the Champions League next year Typical Juve that's all yeah. we can say Right we'll quickly cover off a bit of Bundesliga Craig obviously you wanted to particularly to uh, cover a bit of it and uh, we haven't done it for a number of weeks but 
Uh, some interesting results over the weekend. So Leipzig beating Dortmund 2-1. It seems to be the Christopher Nkunku show. Um, but a lot of questions about Dortmund at the moment. They have got a horrendous sort of run of players being off injured at the moment. And that's kind of ruining their momentum. But also noticing Freiburg, a team that you didn't think would be in the top four for sure. Um, but they're currently lying in third with their first defeat against Bayern Munich this weekend that went by, uh, only losing 2-1. Um, but if we start off with Leipzig and Dortmund, um, by all accounts, a very good Leipzig performance and Nkunku uh, showing what he's made of. Um, unfortunately, not enough to make him go into the French squad. And Didier Deschamps has said he's on his radar, but um, only encourages him to carry on in the same vein. Um but yeah, a lot of people saying he should be in this French squad right now. Uh, without a doubt, without a doubt, I think any other international squad in the world, he probably he probably walks mm. into. If you look at um, you know Spain, Italy, you know Germany, he, he probably gets in those squads. French uh, national team at the moment, like England, and you look at attacking midfield and forwards are just absolutely peppered with with world class talent. So uh, unfortunately for for him, he's he's not in the French squad, but he has been. Out with sort of Lewandowski and, and Haaland, the outstanding player in the Bundesliga, uh, and then scored some good goals in the Champions League as well. Scored scored a couple of goals against Man City, so um, he's performing very very well. And I would be amazed if he is at Leipzig um, next season. He's got for me Liverpool written all over him. That boy can play anywhere across the front three. Electric, really really like him. Really good game as well, and it was really important for Jesse Marsh. To, to win yeah. this game, there's been quite a bit of pressure on Jesse Marsh. No one was expecting him to be Nagelsmann, um, but it's fair to say that his start to his Leipzig career has been pretty underwhelming. Um, mm. A few people started to talk about whether he is, is suitable for that role, so that was a really important one for him. And then Marco Rose's sort of, you're absolutely right, if you take if you take Haaland out of that squad, for all the talent they've got around him, they do feel a little toothless up top. Um, and yeah. they are they are struggling, and you've got to think of, you know, they they need to be they absolutely need to be finishing behind Bayern or, or challenging Bayern because anything other than that for Dortmund is, is seen as a failure. Um, but it's all looking like you know in Kunku and Haaland if they don't go to Bayern Munich, I think they'll be mm. um, potentially in the Premier League next season. Um, but then Freiburg, you're talking about Freiburg. Freiburg are, are the mirror image of West Ham, a team that yeah. for the last ten years have been hovering around the arse end of the table. I was all of a sudden turned it on and now breathing the, the, the fresh air of, of potential Champions League <laughs> football, bless them. So, yeah, great to see someone mixing it up because um, Leipzig and Dortmund certainly haven't been so far. And I feel that, I was just wanted to point out, I feel like we need to uh, give a little bit of support to Goiter Firth because they've won. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do love an underdog on the pod and they've played 11 games and won absolutely zero. Uh, they've got, they've so- got Cedric Ethan from Rangers on loan. Yeah. So what you've got Rangers yeah. they scored against Bayern Munich actually. They got beat. I think they got beat four one, mm. but he scored. He scored. So yeah, God they've him. they've had one. Um, yeah, they've they've drawn one game against. Uh, I mean, a Bielefeld who just literally just like buffing the table. <laughs> yeah. I I feel like you know we need to be. Uh, Pumping ourselves or going to so they are the new Schalke of the pod, yes. basically. <laughs> new the Schalke new adopted of Schalke yeah. of the pod. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll uh, keep an eye on that. They play in green and white and have a shamrock as their logo, so I won't be buying any merchandise. <laughs> um, but I, I'll support them uh, vocally. <laughs> 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 
We'll uh, move from one circus to another. And Andy, uh, PSG, uh, we obviously had Jeremy last week uh, talk to us about the goings on at PSG, but it really went uh, an upper level, I would say, in a women's game in particular. So uh, obviously we've ha had the story of Amnita Diallo allegedly uh, arranging or organising an assault on fellow <laughs> midfielder Kira Hammer-Ruri um, with... Uh, two masked men or individuals uh, threatening to break her legs uh, as a way of getting her position in the team. So, uh, Andy, do you want to fill us in on the details? Oh, it, you, could, you could literally build a Netflix series on Paris Saint-Germain. <laughs> and I think it's like a case of whatever the men could do, the women could do better. So, the, uh, um, I mean, Nelson Diallo was driving home uh, Hammer Rory. And apparently they've been on like, apparently they're meant to be good mates. They've been on holiday together and all that kind of stuff. And apparently um, they're driving home after a team meal. They were ambushed by two masked men. Um, Hammer was uh, dragged from the car, had her legs beaten. And then Diallo was arrested on Wednesday. And he played in the PSG's. She, um, funnily enough, she was picked to play a PSG <laughs> side against Real Madrid, uh, who'd been beaten 4 0 in the Women's Champions League. It was arrested the next day. Um, and yeah, but the poor, uh, see, the PSG player, uh, Hamaruri's finding that she's, I guess she's alive, whether you call that fine or not. Um, obviously, she's had some stitches on arms and legs. So it looks like she uh, um, could be a little bit. Uh, take a while to recover. And apparently, with, um, Diallo, see, he's been capped a few times in France. So, like, let, let it go. It's just, it just sounds so, you know, you wouldn't get that mm. shit football manager, even. Like, it's just oh, absolutely preposterous. That's absolutely what happened. <laughs> and I'd, I'd just love to know what the outcome of that investigation is, you know, when the juicy details can come to light. Um, so what position do you get to where you think, uh, you know what, if I need to get into the team, uh, I'm just going to beat somebody up. I mean, I hope Donny van der Beek isn't taking notes because that's not the right way to go about it. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's in some ways it's kind of funny, but it's also quite horrific at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, PSG just, is it's just a circus, isn't it? As, uh, yeah. That's literal week. circus. Yeah. Imagine being a police officer in Paris and you get the go through. Can, <laughs> can you go to the, the PSU training ground? Oh, fuck me. What have they done now? You and you and your father driving up going, fuck me. What is, what's going on? What's that liaison like? officer must be doing the rounds right now, Just right? Thinking, PR, <laughs> the PR person must. Fuck you, know. anyway, yeah. Every time the PR person must look at their emails in the morning, they just go, let's just go that for sake. Must be like, shaking in fear. You know, where's let's Neymar be... this morning? <laughs> Andy, staying with you, we've got to get our traditional Moldova National Division update. Um, I believe uh, from what you shared on the group, there's only two more rounds of matches. Um, how are our favoured team, Floresti, doing? 
Oh, they got absolutely shot on over the weekend. <laughs> uh, for what the technical turn, they got beaten five once. So fair play to them; they scored a goal. Um, so um, yeah, the second in... goal they've scored this season. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, goals for and they've scored eleven goals this season. So um, yeah, we do get some of the obviously just couldn't they cannot defend the toffee. <laughs> and I, if you want, if you if you want to share the, the highlights on YouTube, you can see why they can see so many goals. Um, so, and what was interesting when I was looking into it uh, earlier, so they've got basically um, two more match days out of 20 uh, left of this year. Um, and the interesting uh, matchup is um, Floresco at home to Sheriff <laughs> after the international break. So I think that's going to be an absolute pasting, to be honest. Um, and obviously with Floresco on minus six points, they've basically got three games to get themselves into a positive points difference. You know, that would be a great football story if they could just get to zero points. Um, and what happens is that their last match day, which is match day 20, isn't until the 12th of March. <laughs> so, so you've basically got a three-month-long winter break and then just one game. <laughs> so I think their season kick and their new season will kick off in around about like April, May time. It's it's right. very strange way of doing things. And obviously, Sheriff who aren't top of the table at the moment, but they've got their two games in hand. Um, they're all, obviously they're second in the table at the moment, three points behind Petra Cub. They've got uh, three games in hand on Petra Cub, and of which um, Petra Cub and other teams are playing. But yeah, they'll probably win those two games in hand and be quite. Uh, mm. On top, and then it goes for the winter break for three months. So what do you do for three? What What do you do for three months? I find that utterly bizarre. <laughs> why Why would you want to start the? If is it like the 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 weather changes at the end of November, and they just can't do? It? Why would you just start the league? Well, it's next. It's, it's, it's next. That's, year, that's it's fucking fine. My brain. Why would you do? That's made me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I don't, I don't, I don't know because it is because it's sandwiched in between sort of Romania and Russia, and they yeah. kind of have the European kind, the typical European kind of football calendar. So I don't really know what goes on in Moldova, <laughs> but yeah, it, imagine waiting three months for like a title decider or something like that. Yeah. A lot can change. A lot can change. Yeah, well. exactly. Few injuries here and there, yeah. arranged by sheriff, a mafia guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crazy stuff is there anything else that we should be aware of in terms of the Moldovan League um, no it's a short answer to that very short Florestia are absolutely going down Zimbu who are the team above them now if they stay where they are they'll go into a relegation playoff uh, but they've got one game in hand of Dinamo Auto on top of them and they've got a five point difference to make up <laughs> so that's the only real um <laughs> battle there <laughs> the relegation <laughs> battle there so that's yeah that is what is going on in Moldovan football <laughs> well uh listeners if you don't fancy uh watching the Moldovan league this weekend uh there is some alternative fixtures uh there is the international fixtures that are obviously taking place uh is that really great much better well this is the question yeah. isn't it um but Craig you have got a few fixtures that you feel mm. that listeners and watchers should be uh making sure they tune into uh I'm assuming there's a certain Moldovan theme of this first uh, suggestion 
I'll stop you right there. When you said I am recommending that they watch these games, <laughs> that, that's not true. These are these are the best of a bad bunch that I picked out. Uh, I don't know if I'd recommend watching some of the games I'm about to describe. Um, so I've gone one, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Uh, tomorrow night, which is Friday, if you're listening, uh, as we record it now, you've got Uruguay versus Argentina, which is actually a World Cup qualifier, so not a friendly. That might be okay. But that's really about as good, as good as it gets. You've also got tomorrow night Moldova versus Scotland. So you want to see some of those Moldovan players in action. Uh, you can watch that. We've got Wales versus Belarus on Saturday. Uh, on Sunday, you've got Croatia versus Russia. And then Spain versus Sweden, which is probably the pick of the bunch in Europe because that's really tight at the top. Mm. Now, as we record, Sweden were beaten by Georgia this morning or this afternoon. So if... Uh, if Spain win tonight, I believe they're in Greece. If they win tonight and then beat Sweden, they will be top of their group and qualify automatically. Um, and then Sweden will drop into the playoffs. So that game on Sunday night could be a, a group decider and a very important game in itself. Uh, and then into Monday, we've got Scotland versus Denmark and then Poland versus Hungary. I didn't pick yes. out any England games because I think the England games are literally, is it San Marino and Andorra? Which, if you're fans of brutal, brutal murders, then that might be a thing. <laughs> if you're the kind of guy that watches serial killer documentaries, then somebody <laughs> is probably your kind of thing. But I picked out some, some semi-competitive games, and, and Uruguay Argentina might be pretty good. If not, I'm sure there's like cricket or basketball or something. You can you can go watch the weekend. <laughs> well, we did have this question coming from the Love of List podcast. Uh, particularly aims, I suppose, to me, which is is Matty Cash or Mateusz. Uh, Gatówka, as it would be translated into Polish, uh, fill the big boots of Łukasz Piszczek. Um, I'm very intrigued to see how this uh, released Wiccan player, believe it or not, I didn't even know about this, but I was reading into this. Uh, apparently he was released from our academy back in 2012. Uh, local boy to uh, this area. And uh, yeah, he's uh, killing it and become a Polish citizen. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting seeing the awkward videos of him trying to speak Polish. But uh, nonetheless, he's in the hands of Paolo Sosa, a fellow Pole, obviously. And, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I, I do genuinely feel he'll be a very good uh, upgrade on the current right-back that we've got for Poland. But, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. So uh, we'll watch out for that. So we now come to the end of the show. But before we do that, we have got our special announcement to make. So uh, without further ado, uh, make sure next week you tune in on Wednesday. So this is Wednesday, the 17th of November at 8 p.m., where we'll be joined by a current footballer. Uh, we won't announce his name just yet, but be sure to tune in to our social media channels. Um, all I can say is... If you're a Rangers fan, you definitely want to tune in or get your questions in. Um, but as a little bit of a clue, he has got a famous dad who used to play for England and he currently plays his trade abroad. So uh, make sure you tune in. It's going to be a fascinating one, um, particularly for Craig, because he doesn't have to speak about international football. Um, <laughs> but more importantly, very fascinating individual. A lot to talk about his career. And I know the boys are very much looking forward to it. So without further ado, make sure you also are subscribed to our social media channel. So on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast and on Twitter at Hopeless Pod. Many thanks to Andy and Craig for your contributions. Hope you have a great weekend, boys. 
And listener, I hope you have a great week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. But for now, thank you. And make sure you tune in on Wednesday for our special guest who, as I say, is a current footballer. So you won't want to miss out. But for now, take care and we'll see you next week. Bye bye. (laughs) 